We're going to continue our series and, and uh, renew 2014 as I speak to you about our commitment to the Word of God. Our commitment to the Word of God. And I'd like for you to look to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we're going to look at one verse there, verse um, 103 in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is uh, the largest book in the Bible, um, several verses. We're going to be reading Psalm 119, 103, and then in a few minutes we'll look to 2 Timothy. But right now we'll look at Psalm 119. 103, as we focus about our commitment to the Word of God, the Bible. Our commitment to the Word of God, the Bible. Psalm 119, 103. The psalmist said, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Look at that again. The psalmist said, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. In Psalm 119, 103, the psalmist takes something that's very familiar to us and he compares it to the Word of God. He takes honey. Now, I don't know about you, but I love honey. Uh, last night, Judy said, well, what's, what, do you want, what do you want for dinner? And I said, well, it don't matter. So she said, well, how about pancakes? And I said, well, that sounds good. And so she, she fixed pancakes. And so instead of putting syrup on my pancakes, I like to put honey on my pancakes. So I just, I just saturated those pancakes with honey. I like honey. Well, evidently the psalmist did too. And the psalmist compares the word of God to honey. In essence, he was saying, Lord, your word is purer. Your word is satisfying. Your word is so rich. He was saying, Lord, it strengthens me when I'm weak. He was saying, Lord, it, it fills me when life seems so empty. Or, Lord, it, 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 and your word just sustains me when I struggle. Lord, how sweet are your words unto my taste. Your words are sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so this morning I want us to consider our commitment to the Word of God, the Bible, as we look at the sweetness of God's Word. What makes God's Word so sweet? I like what Adrian Rogers said, and I'll read a quote, one of my favorite quotes from him in regards to the Bible. He said, you will never be greater or you will never be any greater in your Christian life than your conviction to the Word of God. You will never be any greater in your Christian life than your conviction to the Word of God. What keeps me going in life when difficult times come? What keeps me going in life when... Uh, sorrowful times come? What keeps me going in life when trials come or when a crisis comes to me in my life? It's not how I feel, but it's what I know. What I know in the Word of God. Now, 
the Word of God is the book of all ages. The Bible has outlived, outloved, outranked all other books that have ever been written. There is no book like the Bible. When we read the Bible, the ironic thing is, the Bible reads us. As you sift out all of the problems in your life, you'll find that man only has three problems. The problem of sin, the problem of sorrow, and the problem of death. You say, well, Brother Sammy, there must be other problems. Well, uh, there are, but there's not a problem in, in the world that is not a subset of sin, sorrow, or death. And so in reality, we simply have those three problems, sin, sorrow, and death. Now, the Bible is the only book in the world that has the answers to each one of those problems. The only book. And because of that simple fact, because of the simple fact that the Bible holds the answer to my problems, should cause us to be grateful for the Bible, for the Word of God. So the question is, why should I consider the Bible sweeter than honey? Why should I be committed to the Word of God? I'm going to list about three reasons why I feel, so you might want to jot these down. First of all, I need to be committed to the Word of God. It's sweeter than honey because of the person who sent it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you will turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll look at a familiar passage, that being uh, verse 15 and 16, 2 Timothy three fifteen and 16, as we think about the person who sent us the Bible, 2 Timothy 3 verse 15, he says, and thou, speaking of Timothy, Paul to Timothy, and, and that from a child... Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16. I believe we had both of those. I might have failed to give one to Steve. 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 15 and 16. I believe you have this. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, study to show yourself approved unto God. Let your life be a testimony that you know the Word of God. And then he says, all Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration, the Greek word means breathed out of God. The point is that no Scripture is in, of any private interpretation, of any private origin. Uh, no one just sat down and dreamed up the Bible. So the Scripture is true because it's, it's breathed 
out of God. The holy man, holy men of God spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. Terry sung just a few minutes ago about the ship being tattered and, and, and torn. The holy men of God breathed. The holy men of God moved as God breathed out his word. They spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. God breathed into men who were moved by the Holy Spirit as a ship would be moved alone with the wind. These men were moved alone by the Holy Spirit to write the very breath of God, not something of their own, but everything being of God. And when you think about that, that's awesome, that God used different men with different personalities and different experiences and the different thought processes, different vocabularies to record without error his revelation to man. That's awesome. You say, well, Brother Sammy, how could God do that with just ordinary men? Well, he did that with Mary, if you remember. God used Mary to reveal his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Mary was just an ordinary woman. She was like all women. She was a sinner. She conceived in her womb. She gave birth to the Son of God. And he was the flesh of Mary, but was not touched by her sinfulness. And she revealed to us the Son of God. The same is true about the men who who God used to pen his revelation to us. They were just ordinary men, but God moved them, and, and God used them, and his word was not affected just because they were ordinary men. No one has been touched by their sinfulness, but all of us have been touched by his word. So therefore, God used human authors to write different experiences and with different thought processes and vocabularies. He used them to be the agent to record without error the revelation of himself to mankind. That's awesome. The Bible says all scripture is inspired of God, breathed out by God. The Bible, the word of God, breathed out by God, recorded by God. No other uh, scripture book is like the Holy Scriptures. The Bible is sweet because who sent it to us? God breathed it out himself. Secondly, I jotted down it's sweet as honey because of the promises within it. Did you know that there's over 4,000 promises in the Word of God? That's 10 promises per day for us. God's book is filled with promises. God promises to forgive us of our sins. He says it this way in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That simply means that God promises to forgive and to cleanse the prostitute, to forgive and cleanse the drunkard or the thief or the murderer or the drug addict or the gossiper or the slanderer. And the list goes on and on and on. And that forgiveness, that promise in regards to forgiveness makes his word sweeter, sweeter than honey. God promises us to forgive us of our sins. 
God promises to, for, to give us eternal life. His word, which is true, says in Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. That's in his word. John 3, 36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That is a promise. And that promise to have eternal life, if you trust Christ, is sweeter than honey. The psalmist knew it. He really did. And so God promises to give us eternal life, to forgive us of our sins. And then he promises to always be with us. Now think of that. God has promised to always be with you as a Christian. His word says it this way in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise. That's straight from his word. So whatever you're up against, God's going to be with you. When you're up against the wall, he's with you. When you're up against hard times, he's with you. When you're up against some type of trouble, he's with you. When you're up against sorrow in your life, the death of a loved one or a friend, he's with you. The Bible says it this way in Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the water, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. Friend, listen, that is a promise. Regardless what you might be going through in your life, you're not going through it alone. God is with you. That is a promise. So he promises in his word to forgive us. He promises to give us eternal life. He promises to always be with us. And then he promises to come back one day for you and for me as Christians. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Listen to verse 13 and through 18. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those which are dead, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This comes from the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with a trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's our promise. The Bible says that we're going to be caught up. The Greek word for caught up is harpazo, and that means to, to leave with a great force. It means to leave quickly. It, it, it also means to escape the coming wrath. You know, after the, after the church is caught up, it's going to be a very, a very wrathful time uh, here on earth. The Bible calls it the tribulation time. And we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, says, For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we have unto you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the Son from heaven, 
whom he's raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. Christ says that one day he's going to call the church, he's going to rapture the church, he's going to remove the church from this earth, and we're going up, those who are dead in Christ will go up first, then those of us which are alive and remain, in other words, I may not be alive, but there'll be some Christians alive during that time, they're going to be caught up, after those who died in the Lord are caught up, Christians living will be caught up, and we're going to be with the Lord forever and forever. Friend, listen, that is sweeter than honey, and that is a promise from God. So why should I consider the Bible sweeter than honey? Because of the person who sent it, because of the promises within it, and because, third, because of the power that comes from it. Now, when you preach the Bible, and when you teach the Bible, when you even read the Bible, it has power. It has power to convict. Hebrews chapter 4, listen to verse 12, says this. Hebrews 4 verse 12. He says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and mara, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the intent of the heart. As you read the Bible, the Bible speaks to you. The Bible begins to read you as you read the Bible, and it begins to reveal things to you. It begins to convict of sin and perhaps hidden sin, and it convicts of things that you need to come straight with God and to repent of. It has power. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. The Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible has the power to, to reprove and to correct. The Bible speaks to us in our relationship with the Lord. It has that power. And so today, the question is this. Would you be willing to renew your commitment to the Word of God? You say, well, Brother Samuel, why should I do that as a Christian? First of all, as a Christian, your spiritual growth depends on the Word of God. John seventeen seventeen says this. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Your sanctification, your growth as a Christian depends upon the word of God. How you read the word of God, study the word of God, follow the word of God, apply the word of God. How you handle the word of God. That, that depends, your spiritual growth depends on that. Not only does your growth depend on it, but your assurance of your salvation depends on it. You know, a lot of people at times are confused about their salvation. They'll say, well, Brother Sammy, I don't know if I'm saved or, or not. And oftentimes, that is just a result of someone that's not reading and studying the Word of God. The Bible says it this way in 1 John five thirteen: These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life. 
And when you begin to read the Bible and study the Bible, it's pretty obvious that, that God has given us eternal life for those who have received Christ. And so would you commit yourself to the Word of God as a Christian because your, your Christian growth depends upon it, the assurance of your salvation depends upon it. And person, this morning, lost person without Christ, your salvation depends upon it. Well, all of our salvation depends upon God's word. But your salvation comes from the gospel, and the gospel comes from the word of God. The Bible says, apart from the gospel truth, no one is saved. You can only be saved by believing the gospel. And in order for a person to be saved, they have to believe. And what are, what are they going to believe? Well, they're going to believe the gospel. They're going to believe the word of God. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so your salvation depends upon the word. So the question is, would you experience how sweet his word is today? His promises to forgive you your sins. His promises to give you eternal life. His promises to always be with you. His promises to come back for you. And then there are 3,996 other promises for you if you just simply come to Christ. Today, the Christian, you need to examine yourself and see if you're faithful and true in your Christian discipline as it comes to the Word of God? Are you reading the Word? Are you studying the Word? Are you applying the Word? You know, um, on Sunday night, we come back for discipleship training at 5 o'clock, and I'm, I, I tell you, I'm excited about the attendance on Sunday night. Uh, we have several people here on Sunday night, but we have some that, that are not here. That's a concern of mine because... Your spiritual growth depends upon you knowing God's Word. Let me encourage you, every opportunity you have, Sunday morning, Bible fellowship, the worship time, or Sunday night, or Wednesday night, every opportunity that you can hear God's Word taught or preached, let me encourage you to be at God's house. And then your private devotion time. Study God's Word. Read it. Study it. Practice it. Commit yourself to the Word of God. Let's bow our heads just a moment for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as I come to you, I thank you for an opportunity just to open your word. And Father, help us to realize what we hold in our hand. Lord, as Christians, help us to realize that our, that our, our sanctification, our growth as a Christian depends largely upon the word of God the assurances that we have as Christians, even to our salvation, depends upon the word of God. And for the lost person here without Christ, let them know that salvation comes by the word of God, by the gospel, the truth of the gospel, which is a, a divine revelation of who Jesus was and what Jesus did that Christ came and he died on the cross for our sins and he was buried and he arose again. And Lord, that's straight from your word. And so, Father, we have to have your word before we even have salvation. And so I pray for those that are here today without Christ, 
that they might trust in your word, that they might trust in the promise of your word, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, not might be or could be or may be, but shall be. So, Father, I pray for each person here today, for those without Christ, that they would trust your word to come to Christ. And, Father, those who have trusted Christ and are believers today, that we would recommit ourselves to your word. It is sweeter than honey. The one who sent it, the promises that are in it. So, Father, thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts now as your Holy Spirit speaks, speaks and draws us to make decisions that, that we know we need to make. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry's going to.